Wolverine. Wolverine. Hello and welcome to the Examination Podcast. We're excited. It's season two uh, going through Don of X. This week we're excited to be discussing the first issue of X-Men. Written by Jonathan Hickman and featuring the art of Lionel Yu. Uh, I'm your host, Quentin Nimler. Joining me as always are Dane Rainier. Hey, guys. And Kelsey Strutz. Hey, guys. Season two. We made it through the first few episodes, had a few learning curves. Uh, any reminiscing about the first season that you guys want to share before we jump into it? God, it feels like it was last week. I know. I can't believe we've been doing this for like three months. But it was. it's been super fun learning as we go. And I think... If you go back and listen to any of them, it's insane how much the quality of everything just upgrades over 12 episodes. Yeah, um, couldn't agree more. And the main thing is we're having fun and Hickman's given us some good comics to work with here. Having a blast. Blast. All right. So as always, we start things off by hooking up to Cerebro and checking out what's new in the world of Marvel. First off, let's discuss some pretty big news this week as the entire structure of Marvel as an entity in the Disney umbrella has completely changed. And Kevin Feige, who used to be in charge of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, has now taken on the chief creative officer role uh, and kind of become in charge of the entire vision for Marvel. What do you guys think of this news? Exciting, scary, like going to change anything? What do you think? Um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I'm excited because he, he did such a great job with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I'm also wondering, you know, is this so much on a plate that it it's going to crack now? But I, I, I am very interested to see how he handles it and what he's able to do with keeping everything in line with his vision or the, you know, vision that they've looked up for the Marvel Universe. It would be tough to argue that this wasn't a well-earned position that should generate a lot of excitement for Marvel because I mean, what he's done as kind of the, you know, the, the director, the czar of, you know, their movies and everything is just, it's insane. I mean, it's literally something I don't think it's ever been done on that level over that time span. So it's, it is really cool to see him moving up in, having more control, but I mean, you don't think we've ever like really seen the numbers behind it, but you got to think at this point, movies are such a huge part of what Marvel is anyway. And I mean, so you could argue it's the biggest part. I mean, yeah. if you go dollars and cents, there's no argument. No, right, right, right. That, that's what I mean. I don't know like how much of their departments are, you know, percentage wise or whatever, but as far as the money goes, certainly. And they've obviously trusted him with that. He's knocked it out of the park and I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I don't know that we'll actually see much really change from just like a, a day to day, but uh, you know, it's, it's really cool. And like I said, I, I can't imagine somebody deserving it more at Marvel. Yeah. I tend to try to be positive with any big change like this, because I mean, especially with what he's done, it's great. But like, I think anytime you get a new direction, it's kind of exciting and it could be bad, could be good, but I definitely uh, want to give him a chance there. I agree. Um, now that said, do you guys think Kevin Feige, he's only done movies. Do you worry at all about him getting his fingers in the comics and then following the movies instead of being pioneers? Or do you think he's going to try and keep the comics pushing forward? I think he probably knows that these are different, if not sometimes overlapping worlds, but different realms. And, 
I mean, that's the thing. It's not as though he just gets pushed off the cliff by himself to operate. Like he's going to have people around him. He's going to have, you know, you know, editors and experienced people that deal in the world of comics as well that he can lean on. So I, I don't have any worries about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he may try to streamline a few things or create some continuity, but there are, there are so many comics right now that uh, I, I think he maybe he'd be asking for too much at that point. I mean, he can't tighten a grip much harder around all the Marvel stuff. Yeah. Or fit it all in his hand at this point, you know, like Marvel's so big at a certain point, he's going to have to, let go of some responsibilities. Well, they just um, bought a stadium in Australia. Oh, did they? Yeah, there's <laughs> a Marvel Stadium. Well, that makes sense. We need that. <laughs> Why not? Comic books, movies, sports arenas. Yep. Yeah. They had a UFC fight there. Hmm. I didn't know that. Well, now nice. you do. Um. So Marvel bought a stadium. Definitely diversifying. Uh. So Feige was also rumored recently to be producing a Star Wars um, movie. Like, at least, I don't know if it's a franchise or a movie or, like, a, a couple films. So, allegedly, he's producing Star Wars films. You guys worry he might be getting stretched thin, our, our hero that Kevin uh, has been so far? I don't think he's going to end up producing any Star Wars movies. I think they offered him this thing just to keep him from moving over to that area. Like, he's will solidify yeah, we'll we'll make you the CCO, uh, you know. You just but you have to stay here and work on Marvel stuff. I wonder how the inner workings of Disney are like that. Like, is it that competitive, or do they try to pop over both? I, I mean, like obviously tried. Marvel picked up the Star Wars comics whenever they bought it. Do you think there might be a little like pull and tug on different people within the organization? Well, Marvel had had the Star Wars comics before, so that wasn't. Yeah, but it, it clearly happened after Disney purchased Star Wars. Mm, no. Again. The, the, the 90s, I think the 90s or 80s or whenever they had the first run of Star Wars comics were Marvel. Yeah, no, I agree. Then they then Lucas uh, distributed the rights with Dark Horse. He gave it to them. But whenever Marvel or whenever oh, Disney purchased, purchased Star yeah. Wars, that's when Marvel got the license back. Yeah. And like within, within months, they had uh, lined up a whole run of... Star Wars comics. That's because they had printing presses. I think any business is going to be like that, that you have divisions within it that aren't like, you know, it's not like fully uniform. Not everyone's just playing, you know, I guess they're all playing for the Disney team, but you're playing for your own subsections within that. I think there would be, you know, having seen what he's done, Kevin Feige, that is on a level of movies, why wouldn't other parts in Disney and those divisions want to pry him away? And, you know, get his expertise and his name attached to projects. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, they're going to have to change. This this brings up funny comments. Uh, Going back to the comments last week that was made by uh, Scorsese. Have you guys seen Taika Waititi's comment and Kevin Smith's on it? Yes. I hadn't. I I found Taika's to be incredibly funny. Taika was saying that we're going to have to change it to the attic universe the marvel attic universe because we're no longer cinema (laughs) yeah so he uh obviously uh made light of the situation and said that it's definitely cinema um kevin smith i think had the best one and he's he had a really nice thing to say where he said i think he sums it up best he said uh scorsese's a great filmmaker anybody's dumb who argues it essentially 
But his point was, he's like, I don't think Scorsese's like us. He didn't grow up going to see Spielberg movies. And he doesn't view cinema the same way as people younger than him do or people of that generation. And he's like, so he just doesn't get it. And that's fine. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that's what we talked about last time is he's got different opinions. I think he's, I don't think he is like an average person, especially with, you know, how much he's worked in the business and what he's contributed to it. I mean, I think his opinion deserves to be considered. I don't know if it necessarily needs to be validated with his, uh, you know, hard line as I guess he's making it, but I mean, people have different opinions. That's he's certainly entitled to that one, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I think they're enjoyable movies. Millions of people enjoy them and they have made millions beyond millions of dollars. Billions. Yeah. I just liked his uh, use of Spielberg kind of as the bridge between this heavy comic book superhero world and that cinema of the past because Spielberg, I think, is that nice little transition that helped that at least like I idolize and I view as cinema the that makes it easier for me to see. The idea of the yeah. popcorn flick. Yep, that's what I was gonna say. It's it's almost like the the definition of bringing pop culture to the big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, any other thoughts on the movie universe combined with the comics in that in that direction? No, I'm excited to. Oh, much. good. I was no, saying. Uh, Why don't you go, Dave, first, and then Kelsey <laughs> can put your thought out there. <laughs> I was say, I, I'm excited to see if anything actually changes you know, on the day-to-day with comics. I suspect it probably won't. We probably, I don't think there's going to be anything we see in particular and be like, oh, like, look, that was obviously, um, you know, a, a Feige moment. Ooh, classic Feige move. Right, right. <laughs> but I'm just hoping, you know, the, the ship continues to run smoothly and we get good stories. Um, unless Hawkeye gets taken out of the comics, then I guess we'd know. Oh, we'd have a problem then. <laughs> uh, Kelsey, any thoughts? Nope. All right. Uh, moving on, this the question we're going to discuss this week is, um, what do you look for in a comic when you decide what to buy? So if you are going to buy a comic, what's going to entice you? What do you look for? And what actually gets that comic off the shelf and into your hands? I think we uh, had too much interrupting earlier. Now we don't want to jump on each other. Um, after you, I insist. No, after you. So, so I, I will say, I think the biggest thing for me, just as far as like the front runner of like the first thing you see is cover art. That's what you see first in a comic book. And so it's hard for that not to be the first influence. It's funny that you brought up Hawkeye transitioning into this because I was going to say um, back you know, when Hawkeye came out, uh, fractions, it was, that was the thing that got me to read it. I mean, that's Hawkeye, that run of Hawkeye might be one of my favorite comics of all time now. And I don't think I ever would have looked at it if that cover art wasn't so unique. And Gosh, cool. it popped. Oh, it did. It, it didn't look like anything else. It wasn't traditional comics. And once you get into the inside, it's not traditional comics either. And it's so, 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 so good. Not just the art, you know, that you, the transitions but the story and everything and so i I think it's just impossible for it to be anything else to catch your eye first you know it the cover art it's it's on the cover it's there for a reason yeah i i've been thinking a lot about when i first came upon this question i was thinking about the balance between like the there's all sorts of people that go and make a comic i don't want to uh discount letters inkers all those people that help colorists but like my mind went to writers and illustrators and I had the thought that like a bad, like 
a good writer, if a bad if a bad artist is with a good writer, I have a harder time getting into that than kind of a bad writer with a good artist, if that makes sense. Like if the if the book is just gorgeous, I'll find value in buying it more than I will if if it is just okay with a terrible story, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I can agree with that. Although, you know, the art, if the art is consistent, I can normally look it over to a certain extent. Uh, My issue becomes when you have a comic who changes artists because they're trying to meet a certain, you know, deadline every week or whatever. So you have a different artist each week or something and their styles are different enough to where it almost breaks the illusion of what they're trying to create. Um, Annihilation had a, had a habit of that. So like consistency is a big deal mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. Um, I'll say Annihilation had its separate issues, like the spinoffs, like Annihilation Nova, Annihilation Super Scroll that had different artists. But those were consistent between them. And then the core issue, I don't think changed artists at all. I don't think the the core issue did, no. Uh, I'd agree. Consistency is pretty big. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's a couple of X-Men ones, especially that I'm thinking older, like mid-2000s, I think, where it's like issue to issue. It's like one person's drawing photorealistic and then the next person's doing doing anime. And then there are times where not only is it just juxtaposing and it's kind of hard to follow, but there are straight up times when they're not iconic X-Men that I don't – I'm like – I need a context clue to figure out who this character is. Mm-hmm. And if you, yeah. can't, if you can't figure out who it is from immediately looking at them and it should be obvious, that's tough. It takes you out of the story, especially, you know, if you get three pages in and then you're like, Oh, you know, you're like, that was gambit. Oh okay, yeah. I got to go back. Or, or like when you that. see a mugshot look kind of a Batman, a Bruce Wayne and Superman, you can't tell the two apart. Yeah, exactly. If you look above the shoulders, it's like, that's the same person. That's just a dude (laughs) with a short, generic, dark haircut. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I I tend to follow writers a lot, too. Uh, Hickman kind of won me over with Fantastic Four. And then his Avengers run was kind of in and out. And Secret Wars was pretty good, but kind of wonky for me. But um, I I really liked his world building. And that got me excited about uh, this House of X, Powers of X. Yeah, that's true. I think. Yes, thank you for continuing that. I think artists hook me, but uh, writers keep me. Ooh, that was that. Yes, well stated. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, any any books that you can recall that that have just jumped out to you in the past few years that you you want to share? I haven't really followed enough in the past few years to make a comment on that. Like I said, Fractions Hawkeye. Just the cover art is amazing. The The interior art is consistent and just so unique in the minimalist way that it's done. And the story is just phenomenal. It's, I mean, what a, I mean, what an execution on the concept. Yeah. I, um, one thing that got me on comics, I'll say is, is definitely the, the media, that's changed a lot for me. Like when I was a kid, it was whatever's on the shelf and had the coolest art. And I mean, that's still huge to me, but now I'd say like, I definitely tend to like read a review same way. I, I'm people hate this, but I go to rotten tomatoes. Look at a movie. Is it, (laughs) is it 70% or above? It's probably pretty good. Does it hit my interest? Well, then it's gotta be 50% or above. You know what I mean? And then 
if it if it's like a 95 or above, I'm like, doesn't matter if it looks interesting to me. I should probably check it out. When, so when Quentin says people hate that, he means me. It's true. Yeah. I don't know. I've just got there's a little math to it. If it's like below 50%, I probably don't want to watch it either way. But if if it's like within that 60 range, but it's super targeted at me, I'll uh, still watch it. If it's like within the 80 range, it's like, okay, as long as I'm parallel interested into it. And then if it's like above 90, I'm like, well, I got to see this. What, and what was Dark Phoenix? <laughs> um, that one was in the 30 range, and I watched it ironically. <laughs> oh, okay. So 30 I to 50 is the ironic ironically. No, no, no. I, technically, like, I think I'm more likely to see a movie like below 30% or read a comic below a 3 out of 10 than I am like between 3 and 6, if that makes sense. You, you want exogenesis as compared to like a, an average comic. Yeah, I, I want something so bad that I'm going to laugh at it. He only That's operates kind of on ends of the spectrum, never in the middle. I can appreciate <laughs> that. I can appreciate that. Yeah, uh, I Frankenstein's a movie that was like that. That is like this is so bad. I'm enjoying it. Ultraviolet. I don't think he's experienced actually, ultraviolet. I don't think so. Ultraviolet. Either. Oh, I've I've heard so many legends that I it couldn't possibly live up to the garbage. Oh, it's it, it actually could probably exceed what we've told you as you know some of the worst memories may have been burnt out of us. <laughs> That's save that one. We could fill a whole podcast yeah. on that. Well, we're always open to hearing about more comics. Uh, we focus on Marvel here, but we all read comics on our own time. I know Monstrous is one that's currently coming out that we're both really into. Uh, if you listeners have any recommendations for us, let us know. We'd love to check it out. You can always email us at q.examination at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at examination. Um, and we'll spell those at the end of the podcast out for you. All right, before we get into the story this week, in times of danger and confusion, Uatu the Watcher appears to warn us of oncoming threats. In this segment, we ask our local watcher to scour Marvel history, reveal the origins of a new and confusing character, location, or thing brought up in this week's story. And this week, we go to the Emperor himself, the mysterious third Summers brother, Vulcan, for this segment. Okay, so Vulcan, or Gabriel Summers, uh, is actually a character I didn't really know much about i kind of turned away from comics for a while when he came out uh he is a more recent character in that he he did not come out until january 2006 and was created by ed brubaker who who also modernized bucky to be the winter soldier yes yes he did uh Anyways, read this comic the, when Vulcan came out because what well, we just talked about the the writer. That's why I bring it up. Yeah, I figured. I figured while you you rudely interrupted the watcher. Yeah, that's cool. Is my my turn? Go for it. Who want to? <laughs> um. Anyways, um. He's the he's the third Summers brother, and he had been hinted at before by Mister Sinister. Um. He is the youngest one. And he technically comes from the Shi'ar throne world. He's Corsair, or Christopher Summer, and Catherine Summer's kid. Uh, most of his stories, uh, well, all of his stories, really, have been in regards to the Shi'ar Empire and his dealings with 
more of the the galactic Marvel universe, more of the sci-fi oriented things. Um, he has actually been a bad guy most of his existence. Uh, only recently in this comic does he seem to have buried the hatchet. Um, his powers, if you recall the previous arc, uh, uh, Powers of Ten and in uh, House of X, you'll recall a memo that stated Vulcan as an Omega-level mutant, meaning his power level is on par with, I believe, Magneto and Xavier and those individuals. Um, just a rundown of his abilities. He is His mutant power is actually the ability to psionically manipulate, control, and absorb energy. Um, it's a lot of uh, energy buzzwords, and, it, 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 and it's more than just electromagnetic spectrum. Apparently, he can control exotic energies such as Cyclops optic blast and magical energy. Um, so he can produce uh, force, heat, electricity. Um, he can create force fields. Oh, uh, outside of an atmosphere, he can reach near the speed of light. Um, he has absorbed other mutants' powers to the point where he's absorbed them. Uh, really sounds like Cyclops and Havoc got screwed in the power department. Yeah, he can absorb their... Uh, they are not immune to him. <laughs> and he's got force fields and, and light speed. They're, they're, yep, yeah. Uh, uh, Vulcan is is not immune to Alex's powers, but I believe he is still immune to Cyclops's. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird relationship. Anyways, um, he eventually gets into conflict with uh, uh, Black Bolt, and is perceived dead after you know before which he had also killed his father. Um, and we'll have an interesting also conversation about that. <laughs> yeah, once we talk about that. Um, but now obviously he must be alive. Uh. It seems Deadly Genesis and really probably Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire and even uh, War of Kings saga, probably if you're looking to read more about him, that's that's a good place to just get going. It really covers all of him just due to his um, how new he is as a character. Yeah, a um, few connections to what we're doing now. Um, all the way back to the beginning, Brubaker created this character uh, he has major connections with Krakoa. He, to, to go back even further, one of the reasons he may be more powerful is that Cyclops' mother was actually pregnant with him whenever she was abducted by the Shi'ar. And she would mm-hmm. end up dying, but they took the baby and put her in either Shi'ar machinery or a Shi'ar woman, I forget which one. And he actually was like accelerator. artificially grown, yeah, to be to age quicker. And it, it may have affected his power. So that's why he's so exponentially stronger. Um, also, he went to Krakoa. Kind of there's that point of a uh, giant size X-Men where the, you know, the all around the world team came in with Nightcrawler and Colossus and stuff to rescue the old ones. There's implied that Darwin and, um, and Vulcan were on this team in the middle that went and got defeated by Krakoa. And Professor X actually brainwashed everybody to forget that they even existed. Yep to avoid the fact that he lost the X-Men. So Vulcan has a long history of Kokoa. He actually worked with Moira on Murrah Island a long time ago. 
So there's a potential connection with him and Moira that might be relevant going forward. And um, I mean, this guy's, like you said, taken on Black Bolt, really powerful, but definitely got destroyed. He's even defeated Gladiator in one-on-one combat, ruled the Shi'ar Empire. Like he is a force to be reckoned with, and it's interesting to see him uh, in this issue. So with Vulcan as somebody who's part of the Summers family, a big part of this issue, Dan, you want to take that opportunity to to speak to the uh, story this week and recap what happened in X-Men number one? Yeah, so our first Dawn of X, we're out of House of X and Powers of Ten. We're going to see kind of what comes out of that, like where, where all this big world building that Hickman leads us to as we step into uh, the Dawn of X. So we open on a young Scott Summers. He's scared of his powers. He opens his eyes and he sees Professor Xavier through his new ruby quartz glasses, and Xavier promises him a bright future ahead. Next, we have an X-team in the present day on a mission to shut down the last Orcus station on Earth. Cyclops, Storm, Magneto, and Polaris exposition a bit about the state of affairs from House of X and Powers of Ten while kicking some Orcus butt, including apes with PhDs. They accomplish their mission, liberating some young mutants while also encountering a post-human before she disappears. Returning to Krakoa, Magneto uh, is a, a warrior hero surrounded by the children of mutantdom. And Cyclops and Polaris discuss their own past as well as the future of mutants. Cyclops, uh, via Krakoa Gate, returns to his new home, we find out, on the moon. His father, Corsair, has come for a visit. We're treated to some comic relief in the form of uh, the summer's home and these scenes between Wolverine and Vulcan cooking steaks, a young Cable and Jean getting ready for dinner, as well as Prestige and Hepzibah getting ready to drink. Cyclops and Corsair have a father-son moment while doing the dishes with the new Krakoa goo dish soap. (laughs) Corsair is worried about his boy, but Scott assures him he's ready for anything. Finally, we find out that the Orcus Forge orbiting the sun is still operational, but under new management uh, by Dr. Gregor and Karima are still around. In fact, we end this issue with Dr. Gregor uh, revealing a crystal, claiming that she can use it to resurrect her husband, as well as potentially other members of Orcus that have passed. This week, our only memo that we get is the layout of the Summers family household on the moon. Were you glad to see memos back then? I I don't mind this memo. There was less memos, and they were lighter. I the visual and graphics, memos, yes, visual <laughs> graphical memos. I appreciate it's the dense textual ones because they just stand in such stark contrast to what comic books are. So I think having a more visual element makes it feel more like a comic, and it gives me more um, as you know, more to supplement the story and less to be a necessary part of it. He prefers memos over pamphlets. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Kelsey, what do we think about this issue? Did you enjoy it? I did. I really liked it. Um, it it has a bit of that sci-fi-esque thing uh, going on, uh, which the X-Men get to do because they're, you know, ever since they linked up with the Shi'ar, they've been able to explore that. Um, probably the only thing I really didn't care about was the action stuff with Storm. 
it, it seemed almost forced to me. Um, I liked Cyclops though. I really enjoyed how they, you know, portrayed him, even, even standing up to Ma- like Magneto in the beginning saying, no, this is what we're doing. Uh, the council said this, if you got a problem with it, bring it up next time. Yeah. Still being the boy scout, but also being put in a position where he's, you know, standing up to the bully kind of thing. It's kind of cool because honestly, yep. I loved Magneto in this issue, but it, it does kind of go to show yeah. that power structure. Because they specifically mentioned in one of our previous memos that, you know, while Cyclops isn't on the council, when you're in the field, those captains control. Because that's the point. Is like, yeah, he's the shot you, you think about the fact that he's telling Magneto, yeah. a guy that's... quiet talk- council has strength as a council. Right. That he's telling Magneto, a guy who's on the council, while Storm is also there, another you know person on the council. Like, no, 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 that's not what was decided. And so it kind of shows you that, like, you know, they mean what they said. That when they're in the field, the captain controls and Cyclops is the, you know, the highest of the four captains. Yeah, and it feels true to Cyclops. Like, I love that he's like, he can't be bought. He doesn't, he's not loyal to Storm. He's not loyal to Magneto. He's loyal to the Kokoa, the mutant nation. And and they have the laws. And he's yeah, that's a very Scott Summers. Um, the apes. Apes were a big thing for me. What you guys, did you guys enjoy Magneto's cool line and his little, uh, they, they don't actually show a lot of the action and I never hate it. Hickman has this habit of like, Doing something cool off panel, and I still yeah, I don't mind it because that wasn't. I don't think that's like the most important part. Like it was cool that the the issue starts with action. I like that that we kind of jumped into it. I don't need to see him shooting apes, you know, necessarily. Like that's not uh, Doctor Apes. <laughs> Excuse me. They they've earned that degree. They they deserve that title. But you know, I mean, I think there's more to be done. This is, a, I mean, this is a fat issue. It's like forty pages, so we don't need to necessarily see Scott optic blasting monkeys for two pages like we get the point apes yeah um i enjoyed their use of polaris and magneto and and rifting those with storm and um cyclops and there really was this harmony where everybody's kind of synergizing in this issue like people are at odds but also they're very unified at the same time do you guys think hickman did a good job with that dialogue yes i do i I really like the way he's handled dialogue between enemies basically who are still aware that they used to be enemies. You know, they're, they're still aware of it, but they have that common goal now. Yeah. What do we think of these post-humans? It's it's an interesting story, like Hook now, because we've been introduced, we know they exist, yeah. and so we know that that storyline isn't going to go away. So as much as we harped on that being, like, kind of a worthless, the X3 storyline, it seems pretty clear that idea is here to stay. Survival is what I, you know, it's, it's those human characters trying to give them whatever edge they can against what they deem as a threat. When, when are we going to get into the fact that uh, the mutants are the mutant nation of Krakoa as a legitimate nation is carrying out paramilitary actions in what must be someone else's country, even if it's deemed a terrorist organization or whatever. Uh, they are still operating. I'm assuming not freely in other countries. I mean, they, they have they have in a way been stressing that that they are declaring war on humanity itself. Yeah, I don't know what like the political <laughs> balance of that is, but yeah, I, I, think there's, I think there's an argument to also be made is that I don't know if they are 
fully revealing, you know, that this was them. I mean, obviously, I don't think they're killing a room full of 40 people or whatever to keep them quiet. But I have to suspect they may not also be like just out and out openly saying this was us. We did this, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. Maybe because yeah. they, they, you're right. They do make some pretty bold declarations well, generally to the human world. And we, we don't know. Yeah, I don't think the terrorists are going to tattle. Yeah, we don't. We don't know how what Orcus has in relationships with actual countries too, or how well known they are. You know, they seem to be a very secret hush hush group. So maybe one of those things where it's like, uh, yeah, we'll just not talk about what's going on. I also think you look at like current political climates, and I think uh, Hickman purposely gave them this ace in the hole. Like you think about how China has cloud over us with trade and stuff. With this miracle drug, I think the mutant nation's in a power position where people have to turn a blind eye to certain things they do. And if if they're going after terrorists and they're not actually doing anything too bad on your lands, I think a lot of people are willing to turn a blind eye if it means they keep getting that sweet, sweet cocoa drug. Humanity is the NBA and (laughs) China's cocoa. (laughs) But I mean, that could be an interesting storyline to see later on you know that if something like this comes back to potentially bite the x-men that they can't op you know that they can't have both the formality and immunities of a nation and also you know act so recklessly as these like strike force paramilitary teams um storm tries to reach out to this uh parahuman thing by the way what you guys think like she speaks about being out of time and gods and um, loose in the world. Do you, do you think they're purposely going to start having this conversation between what makes a post-human different from a homo superior? Uh, Probably. Um, I also think they're just um, sowing some seeds for maybe even the invasion arc. I believe incoming, incoming, I'm sorry, not invasion. The incoming arc coming up. I, I believe it's a possible seed for that. You think so? You think they'll tie the post-human? Yeah. All about time and gods, yeah. Okay, that's a that's a big idea to start dropping, and then you have incoming, which that would be. I feel like a big change because incoming seems like a global, you know, full Marvel kind of storyline, and that would be a, yep. a real departure, making the X Men a front and center piece of that. But it seems like they wanted to change some stuff for the X Men. I think that that is likely to put them front and center might be yeah. what they need to kind yeah. of remind well, people, especially to with um, the moving of the X-Men into the Marvel cinematic universe at some point, you know, starting to really put them into the comics more as more of a, a central force in it. Right. And I mean, what the grand I, scheme, I don't think that's a, a particularly rare opinion to hold that, X-Men kind of fell out of favor with Marvel because of the fact that they didn't have that overlap mm-hmm. in the movies. They didn't have that specific set of rights to continue uh, making money off of them in every facet. So why push them in the other ones? So you may be right. I mean, it may be an attempt to put them back front and center in comics and thus kind of cross promote uh, in the future. I got, a, I got a question for you. What do you think that uh, crystal thing is at the end I don't know. It was an interesting choice to to feature that, especially in a a team now that's like so in a story about this team of the X Men that's so resurrection heavy already. Uh-huh. So how's she Gregor? So you wanna hear my theory? 
I think it's a McCann, one of those uh, McCann like memory crystal things, and she's got him preserved in the same way that Professor X saves people's death. Yeah, and and I, I, I it looks kind of like what they use for um, Nimrod and things like that. Who's to say that that their actions, because they destroy the mother mold, and they kill Gregor's husband, that she is able to create the Nimrod, and she uses his you know, intellect or whatever to, you know, to boot it up or something to give it AI. That's true. Considering we talked about, I mean, we joke about it a bunch about, you know, throwing them brains in a Nimrod shell, but I mean, theoretically they were trying to create, you know, a, a Nimrod and you, you'd want to think that they put, you know, some level of, yeah. And that, because the, the bad guy, like the new manager, whatever new manager mentioned, like he was the greatest tactical mind we had. You may think uh-huh. that that's potentially one of the people they use to develop the Nimrod. Yeah. Yeah, and he definitely has some resolve. Yeah. He was willing to sacrifice himself. And he, I mean, he dang near stopped the X Men yeah. with their yeah. I, I hadn't thought of plan. That, but you're right. That, that kind of makes it a. Uh, it kind of gives a reason for him having said that, mentioning how bright of a tactical mind he was. Mm hmm. I also like the idea, if, if it is a McCann crystal, the same kind of one that Professor X is using, that's what he stores all these X-Men memories in. There's one in Cerebro, I'm pretty sure, and it would be cool to see that Nimrod, in the same way that Professor X is housing all these like mutant minds, Nimrod's doing that same thing for humanity. Right, that you're not the only one that you know has these tools and these resources to use. Yeah, tactical resources. Kind of makes him a parallel. Um, I wanted to go back a little bit and talk about Polaris and Cyclops' conversation. Did you guys have any thoughts? They talk about Magneto being a a younger man now, and this is kind of like what he's been waiting for. Um, Do you guys have any thoughts on Cyclops and Magneto? Or, sorry, Polaris and Cyclops' conversation? It seemed very personal to me for characters that I don't often think of having like that strong of a tie or a relationship. So that was um, weren't they romantically linked for a little while? Uh, she's been with Havoc, I know. Like her and Havoc, Havoc were like a right. huge okay. thing. That's right. But she's basically right, a sister in some ways. And so, but it's just they're not like characters that I think of having a lot of like scenes together. I liked the commenting on Magneto because it's kind of you know what they were saying about it was sort of right that like. I think this life and everything he's gone through for Magneto has taken a toll. So it's kind of nice and neat that not only are they winning, but he's not the bad guy. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's a hero to these children. Yeah. I also want to, did you guys, if you get the chance to go back and look at the last conversation between Polaris and Cyclops, I I want, I'm going to pre buffer this with the fact that, I'm looking for people to like not buy into this whole Krokoa thing. And I really enjoyed the part where Cyclops is like, because I believed in a thing and now it's real. And he's all excited about how he's home. And uh, she's like, Scott. And he goes, yeah. And she's like, do you really believe that? And he's like every single word of it. But like, I'm just hungry for people to be like, what is going on here? Like I, I might be almost superior, but I'm still part of this earth. And I don't like being isolated. Like, it seems so against certain characters to not think of unity. It, it is nice to see certain people showing some level of doubt, whether they ultimately, you know, lash out as a 
antagonist. I don't know, but it, you're right. It is good to see. We talked about that the first time it came up with Mystique uh, Wolverine, that people showed some level of kind of like, I don't know if I full buy into this, but it, it does seem Scott yeah. is clearly the, the right character to be all in on this kind of a plan. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll agree with that. Cause not everybody knows what, like I can buy Professor X, the dream died. Cause that was the big reveal of powers yeah. of 10, right? It yeah. always ends in the same thing. And I can see that and the manipulation breaking one person who knows the full extent of what's going to happen, but they purposely held the truth from other people. So it's like, where, why are they buying into it so holistically without that knowledge? Yeah, and maybe it's just that these are strong leaders that mutant kind of always respected. But I think part of it might be because they're keeping a certain amount of information away. But ultimately, when you see where it's gotten you at this point, like the number of mutants that have united, and that the X-Men are the strongest they've really probably ever been. I mean, why would you? That would be difficult not to buy into as a mutant. Yeah. Were you guys surprised to see them dodge the Corsair um, being a human conversation? Uh, a little bit, especially when they gave him a uh, Krakoan gate, basically, for his ship, which, one, seems very dangerous to have on a mobile platform that could be taken over by some other intergalactic yeah. entity. Um, <laughs> and, two, I, don't, I thought non-humans couldn't pass through without a mutant with them. I think a mutant can allow them to go through I thought they had to be present with them. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Oh, also, also Corsair is supposed to be dead. Nobody's dead. They're all back. He's not to be honest, I have personally, I have not followed enough. Um, she are star jammer kind of storylines to know if he hasn't had a chance to be brought back. Well, Vulcan killed him. So that well, I, I know, but there, that's been years. That's like almost yeah, it, a decade. It just ago. seems like a, you know, a weird thing to, to have it at the dinner table. Be like, oh yeah, hey, hey, kids, yeah, my youngest son killed me. I'm glad he's sitting here cooking my meal. But there, I mean, there, there's a lot about this issue yeah. that's pretty lighthearted. You know, the joke about the the medium rare steak that I that part I really enjoyed the steak thing. But some of it was maybe a little too lighthearted. Like it didn't land for me. Like we have cable like the joke about like oh mom is it okay if i trade guns like why did he all of a sudden turn into like a nine-year-old like this dude was a cold-blooded killer like yeah but he's but he's not like nine i mean this guy is still a yeah he killed regular cable yeah i mean and i i want to give hickman the room to have his interpretation and maybe you know they can sell it as Cable went back again, and now even younger <laughs> ones here. <laughs> I don't know. Some things seem more like abrasive than others. And I'll say Vulcan, it's not so much abrasive as it is like, I almost feel like Hickman is straight up telling us, like, this is a Vulcan that is not at his latest point. It makes sense that Professor X wouldn't have any mental record of Vulcan before, like, he turned evil and went full like emperor Vulcan. True. So like we're looking at a younger Vulcan and a younger grown body of Vulcan. Like, I don't think there's any arguing that. Yeah. And that's why he's not yeah. evil. Um, also, Dane, did you want to bring up why you think Wolverine is, uh, yeah. has his own room at the. Yeah. So stage? this is something that I caught 
And I think it's incredibly interesting because it even goes back to, if you remember on the, the social media post we put out on Twitter a few weeks ago, that picture of Wolverine with the beers and his arms around Scott and Jean, I think there's like a three-way relationship between Wolverine, Jean, and Scott because of, so that one picture that we saw from that one panel to the beer one, the, yeah, the sinister rumor back from the sinister Island thing was that he's the best there is at what he does. She's married with the kid. The husband knows exactly what's going on, but who is he to point the finger? He's up to much the same and more. Maybe this is just the new normal on the mutant Island, but here's the real kicker. If you look at the memo in this issue that shows the room breakdown, Wolverine, Gene, and Scott have the three rooms on the right. And so they're all in like little pods of three. Their three rooms are interconnected by a clear hallway. None of the other rooms have that. Oh. So Gene's room is in the middle and it clearly has doorways to the other two. Fair point. Which is a strange choice to put that in there very specifically. I can't imagine that was by accident. Yeah, you're right. I'm looking at it right now. That's, I mean, little, it's, little that's weird to put that in there if this wasn't... Jeans is in the middle correct. room, too. Yeah, because they're weirdly mislabeled, too. If you notice, they go around in order. Yeah, it's 10, 12, 11. Yes, theirs are out of order, which almost yeah. makes me think they want people to catch that and sort of look at like, oh, these are out of orders. Whose room are these? Oh, Jean's in the middle. And if you're looking at it back and forth long enough, you're like, there's these little hallways in between these three rooms. Yeah, and not on the other ones. Yep. Correct. None of the other rooms have them. Good sleuth. So there is a, a, a basically a joint connected room for the three of them. Okay, so I'll, I'll bite. Do you think they're implying like, sexual relationship between the three of them is that going to be a story element or just trying to show that the mutants are um have evolved to be more accepting of all people and like what what do you think hickman's doing this for i i mean i think it is kind of this uh, i don't know a more i guess progressive relationship that there is unity within mutants you know scott and logan who fought a lot are kind of coming together in some ways but we also have the mutant law. I mean, of you know, we we have to make mutant children, and it's you know, yeah. it seems you know, Gene and Scott or Logan and Scott could do that. Not Logan and Scott. Logan and Gene could do that. You know, in either pairing. So I don't know why it necessarily needs to be the three of them, but that seems to be an element that there's just enough pieces here that I. Again, I just, I, I know I say this a lot, but it feels like that can't all be an accident. Yeah. I'm just curious because it's like this, I get so many like hypocritical mixed messages from the X-Men where they're like, they're being progressive in one area, but then selectively isolationist here. <laughs> so it's just, it's just so interesting. Yeah. And it's definitely odd coming off of, if you, if you guys read Age of X-Men, coming out of a storyline that was all about you know, you cannot have relationships, there cannot be love, there cannot be, you know, this togetherness amongst people. Yeah. And now we've got, you know, a thruple of, you know, three of the biggest X-Men ever. Yeah, open relationship style. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. 
So that was my interesting find of the day. Yeah. I think it's very interesting. I think it's the most exciting part of this one. <laughs> well, um, I, I'm glad to see our antagonists back. Were you guys excited to see them still continue to be a thorn in our sides? In Orcus? Yeah. Yeah, it almost felt weird that they were like, they're taking out the last base on Earth. And I'm like, well, that was quick. And then it was like, oh, yeah, they've got kind of a big one not on Earth. Yeah. yeah they, have space, they have space base. Space base. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. I think um, I think having a continuing antagonist carry over, because I completely forgot that they didn't die. I just assumed they did. Um, and I think that's going to make this fun to have a, a an enemy to kind of follow and subtly root for to a degree too um, yeah i think dr gregor could become a new like x-men villain that carries on for a long time that we're looking back at you know eventually as like a, a bolivar trask-esque or you know one of those leading an anti-mutant organization oh, why not bigger I'm, I'm excited about her i think yeah. she has potential to be you know ah, magneto's a good guy now so We've got an apocalypse. You know, we got some openings yeah, in the we, greatest we villain villains. department. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to go ahead and transition on into the danger room. It's ever important to defend our home of Krakoa, so we put our skills to the test each and every week as we enter the danger room. This week, we're going to try out a new challenge called Krakoan Card Battle. We're going to look at some 90s-era trading cards. We're going to draw two, one from a mutant pile, one from a non-mutant pile, and we're going to debate which of the two heroes would win in the battle. So Kelsey and Dave, you're going to pick a side, this one or that one. And okay. then... Um, Whichever card, each of them has a ranking of, of their power set, whichever one has a higher aggregate score. So the, uh, the fairest way I can find to do it is just add up all their stats, whoever okay. has the highest wins. Are these those ones with like a, a, a straight like colored bar going up to a certain number? Well, I wanted to diversify because I was finding that like in certain sets, like some of them were like hyper balanced. Do you know what I mean? To where there like wasn't very much deviation. Right. So I pulled... Each one's competing with one from the same set, but I pulled from actually three different sets of 90s era cards, if that makes sense. Okay. So, like, it's if it's, like, from a sec the second series that they did, they'll only compete against other ones with the same stats. But um, there's multiple series. Are, are these? Are you pulling them randomly, or have you selected I, them? I pre-selected. I did some kind of random. I did some that just felt iconic. Um, and, and to kind of get us going, the first one I have is jubilee and nightcrawler wait i thought it was one human versus one the, just because this is the, the trial one i just wanted to do one so we we have a card from jubilee i can answer that. and one from nightcrawler they're not from a pack of nerds <laughs> you would do this to me so if you had to pick one dane who do you think would win this i mean you're either i you could tell me jubilee is max stats i don't care i'm gonna say nightcrawler I there don't you go, do Nightcrawler. Do you go, Kelsey? Do we get to know what the stats I'm are? I'm going Jubilee, duh, because I know how much better she is. 
This set happens to have um, a six-point array. It has strength, speed, agility, stamina, durability, and intelligence. Okay. So if you had to match those two up, who do you think's got it? So who are you going, Kelsey? I'm going Jubilee. Who are you going, Dane? I'm going Nightcrawler. Are we making arguments here? Or are we just picking? I, I want to throw myself. Jubilee is a teenage girl. Her strength, durability, intelligence, whatever the rest of those stats are, they would pale in comparison. Nightcrawler is an iconic X-Men, an expert swordsman, clear advantage in mobility, clear advantage and in strategy. And will not harm a teenage girl. No, he'll kick her in the face. He won't stab no, her. No, he won't. He 100% yeah, but no, he won't. Who's got no, better puns, though? Well, he's no, you know, mall rat or what's the... Yeah. yeah I was about to say, it, what's his machine? You know how much that game costs? It, yeah. It's a mall rat eat chili dog. What is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. does a mall rat eat chili dogs? Now that's... Uh, if quips were a stat, maybe I'd be in trouble. But I'm I'm taking Kurt Wagner. All right. Fireworks. With a score of 17 to their opponent's 11, the winner is Nightcrawler. Oh, my gosh. Thank the Lord. If I found out right. he got... By six, I was gonna get angry. So that that was just a practice one. We're gonna, we're gonna yeah, I couldn't keep score. Nightcrawler, not not Dane. I couldn't pick against Dane with with Nightcrawler. <laughs> I could be like, oh yeah, I, I'm gonna pick with him. No, let him have his glory. All right, so this is uh, a series one competition. We've got Beast versus She Hulk for the next one. Beast versus She Hulk. Seriously, this is a question. Yeah. So who are we gonna pick? Who wins in a fight, Beast or She Hulk? What are our stats and strength? Um, this is the same series, so it's strength, speed, agility, stamina, durability, and intelligence. Yes, She-Hulk. Hmm. Strength, speed, and seriously? Th- this is a question for you. Yeah, I think so. He Beast is going to lose in strength, but I think he and stamina. I think he clearly wins speed, speed and agility. Sure. I. She's a lawyer, and we know lawyers are smart, obviously. But Beast is like a genius. And is there how how much how large can someone's stat be? Like, can you have a strength going up to like max out like a fifteen or something? It's a no, zero to seven it, scale. Okay, because here's the thing: everything she has, I think Beast is not quite as good at, but I think he also has at a higher level. So what I'll say is. If we're picking an aggregate of stats here, I think Beast wins. Wow. Okay, the score is 26 to 24. Really tight here. Our X-Men get the first victory. Beast beats her. His Intel score really carries him. He's competitive in everything but strength, but he slightly edges her out in agility, stamina, and he basically, he's, he's barely lower in strength, barely lower in durability, but he dominates her in intelligence. Yeah, that's he's barely lower in strength. That that does seem odd to me, but he's barely lower. He's, in he's strength. a four, and she's a six. Um, and what's his intelligence? Remember, she's not Hulk. She's not as strong as her cousin. No, but she can huck a car. <laughs> he can huck a. His his intel is a five, car. and hers is only a two. That, that seems wow. Her intel should be higher. Yeah, Jura's doctorate. I mean, I mean, he invented like an X jet. He Any, made Cerebro. <laughs> anybody can get a doctor. He stole it from the military and outdated things. Yes, he stole it with his superior speed and agility. <laughs> All right, X Men are up one. Dane's up one. Woo! Okay, 
All right, next one. We have Nick Fury versus Professor X. Now, I will say on this one, their stats are strength, intel, energy projection, mental powers, fighting ability, and speed. Hmm. Professor X, he could... I think having energy projection, and what was the mental stat? Yeah, but this is also the 90s. And fighting ability and speed are both stats. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, just saying. I'm not, not to say you. What were the stats? I've again? seen that chair can hover pretty fast. Strength, intel, energy projection, mental powers, fighting ability, speed. I'm still going with Professor X because I, I recall Dane reading off some stupid stats. <laughs> I from the website. I think he's just got too many that are in there, like that feel like they're made for him. Like intel and mental power are different. Uh, apparently, nope. he's got to be he's got to be maxing not maybe not maxing out, but they got to be really high. So maybe this breaks down. But I'm going Professor Xavier. All right, so both of you pick Professor X, and both of you will receive a point this turn. X men are up two zero. Uh, Professor X has a much higher mental power. He has six on a seven-point scale, whereas uh, Nick Fury doesn't. I will say, uh, Professor X does lose some points on strength, energy <laughs> projection, fighting ability, and speed, as he has ones on those. And uh, wait, wait. Nick Fury Nick does Nick Fury not. has more energy projection? Nick Fury also has a one in energy projection, but he doesn't have any other oh, ones. Okay. <laughs> I, I have a question. If Xavier is a six in mental power... Who the hell is a seven? Seven. I do not know. All right, same scale. Same scale. Uh, We've got a solo artist and the penultimate team player. uh, Cyclops versus Moon Knight. Cyclops versus Moon Knight. More of the stats again? Strength, intelligence, energy projection, mental powers, fighting ability, speed. I'm going Moon Knight just because I like Moon Knight. I know I hate doing it, but of those, I think. Mm. I would think stat wise, Cyclops would have it. You think so? I think here's the thing. I think stat wise, Moon Knight's going to win. But I, I why? Because maybe speed and strength. I mean, not energy projection. I think Probably he's not mental. I think he's a better fighter. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I, I think he's going to win by stats, but. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna back off my boy Scott. Maybe I'm a mutant okay. Homer, but I'm taking Cyclops. Okay, this one's fifteen to sixteen. So real tight race here. Um, Cyclops edges them out by one. Oh yeah, Moon, Moon Knight is ahead in everything. Basically, it's just that he doesn't have a energy projection score. So like Cyclops just gets to add six to his score. Basically, <laughs> sorry, five. He's got the little those little. Moon blades he throws. Moon blades. <laughs> I think that gets categorized under fighting ability. <laughs> the seems the seems like a rip off. I like this game. Are you officiating for the Packers, huh? <laughs> All right, next one. Um, we've got former lovers, Storm and Black Panther. Storm. Is this on the set that has energy projection? Same stats. Mental power. Okay. Uh, I'm going Storm. 
I mean, I'm riding the mutant train and it's working all right. And again, energy projection feels like it's going to go pretty well. Oh, well, then I got to go Black Panther. I'll go opposite Dame. <laughs> I have to. I got to get some points. I got to make up some You got to make up some ground. I you may get yeah. it this one. He's pretty smart. But I'm I'm going to go I'm going to go Storm. But he's got no energy projection. You sticking with your Black Panther? Yeah, yeah. I hate to say it, but Storm wins again. Oh 19 to 15. Just a shutout. What's the energy projection? What's the, what's the energy, projection? Um, energy projection. So Storm's at a 2-3. Her intel's a 3, pretty high. Energy projection, they actually give her a 1. What? But her mental power is a 6. So I'm going to guess that's how they justify her power. <laughs> what? She's the mental power of Xavier? Yeah, man. Oh my goodness! I you might need to find different stats. I feel like Dude, this is the nineties. It's foolproof. Uh, like her fighting ability is a four. Seems pretty See, high. Her yeah. her fighting ability is the same as Black Panthers. Maybe they count lightning bolts as fighting. <laughs> uh, she's faster than Black Panther. What? <laughs> they have the same strength. <laughs> Black Panther tops her out by two intel, but other than that, she beats him in like everything. I love this game. <laughs> yeah, it's completely. I'm gonna take a guess. Let's see which what's more ridiculous. I wish these '90s trading card people wrote AVX. Nice. Okay, so next one we got a uh, classic thing versus Colossus. Thing. Uh, this was a fight in. AVX. AVX. But yeah. remember, Colossus was juggernaut powered. Right. And th- I think things still won, didn't he? I don't remember. Even if you have their strength and their fighting ability the same, and they fought. to be smarter, he was an astronaut. Yeah. I'm, oh, God. I hate doing, after going full X when I hate doing this to you, Quentin, but I'm going to take Thing. Oh, whoa, whoa. I already claimed Thing. Well, we can pick the same side. I, I think or Dane's clearly like not mutant and proud. He he switched. No, clearly sides. not. Clearly. All right. So with a score of sixteen, the thing is tied with Colossus at sixteen. Oh, their tied. stat line is literally the exact same. Oh, just point Wait, for point. Intelligence is yeah. How is their intelligence the same? Again, the thing was an astronaut. But see, I don't know if you know, Colossus had to know where to place his hands for leverage. Are you saying stop that farmers factor? farmers yeah. aren't as smart as astronauts? Are you saying that a farmer is less intelligent? You don't think they might choose to work that hard? I'm saying Russian farmers are less intelligent. Kelsey hates the farmers that keep this country going. Yep. Fired. <laughs> All right. We, we have no time. We do have to keep moving forward. So our next battle is Iron Man. Versus Rogue. This mm. is 90s Rogue. Keep that in mind. 90s Iron Man. Uh, Intel's a stat. Energy projection's a stat. This, this one goes back to the strength, speed, agility, stamina, durability, intelligence. Oh, oh okay. So there's no energy projection. Rogue. Yeah. Um, ooh, Iron Man wasn't quite the sensation that he was. in the- Yeah, this is 90s Rogue. This is the peak Rogue powers. Intel is a stat, though. So? Well, we ain't dating Rogue for her uh, intelligence, I can tell you that. Sure. Right. I think that's all Gambit was after. Uh, all right, I'll go, I'll go Iron Man. 
Yeah, you sticking with Rogue, Kelsey? Yeah, I'm sticking with Rogue. All right. With a score of 29 to their opponent's 25, Iron Man defeats Rogue. Oh, I'm done with this game. This game's ridiculous. <laughs> Make no sense. That is one point for the non-X-Men to, to four for the... <laughs> there was a tie. There was a tie. All right. Next one, we got um, Silver Surfer versus Dark Phoenix. Specifically which, Dark Phoenix. Which scale are we on? Uh, this is the strength, speed, agility, stamina, durability, intelligence. Dark Phoenix? I don't know. Like, the Silver Surfer just to me has always been like kind of a plot device and less of a character. So I don't know where I'd put him. And plus, like, yeah, but it's all that strength, speed stuff. It's probably going to, Silver Surfer is probably the answer there. I mean, as far as agility goes, he has a surfboard. He does. Dark Phoenix doesn't. Well, let's make it interesting. They both have a strength and speed of seven on a seven point scale. Oh, so you're so. looking at agility, stamina, durability, intelligence to be the difference. I don't know don't if Phoenix have intelligence. Does Slim? Silver Surfer have intelligence? No, he was just like, wasn't he just like a diplomat? What are you going with, Kelsey? I'll go Dark Phoenix. All right, I'm going to go Silver Surfer and say that bald head contains a lot of knowledge. With a score of 32... The Dark Phoenix loses to the Silver Surfers 34. Mm, I'm king oh, of this game. Pick them. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we're getting into our final rounds here. Get into our final rounds here. We have Venom versus Sabretooth. Uh, is this energy projection stats or not? Strength, speed, agility, stamina, durability, intelligence. Sabretooth. I'll take Venom. Take Venom. With a total score of 20 to their opponent's 19, Venom loses. Oh, I dropped one. All right, so that Finally. goes that goes to our boy Sabretooth. Kelsey's getting a point. Close it. You're within two, Kelsey. What? Yeah, you got three to his six. Oh, sorry. Math is hard. <laughs> <laughs> what age do you think? Hey, hey, Kelsey, in fairness, based off of Quentin's ability to read numbers, you may not have lost some of these rounds. This is true. Powers of X. (laughs) All right. um, Next one, we're going to keep that same theme going. We're going to go Spider-Man and Wolverine. What stat scale are we using? Uh, This one is strength, intel, agility, and power. What Spider-Man? Strength. Frank Spiderman. Strength, speed. Oh, actually, I need to clarify. Sorry, the way this card system works, Spider-Man stats are... there's Each of them has four stats, but they're different. But we're still using the aggregate score. So Spider-Man is strength, intel, agility, mental power. Then uh, Wolverine's is strength, stamina, fighting ability, durability. Mm, I'll go Spider-Man still. Those seem like the stats that are going to play into Wolverine's favor. I'll take Wolverine. Uh, with a score of 19 to 16, Wolverine dominates this one. Those They basically handpicked all the good stats for Wolverine. They might as well have been like um, beard growing ability, healing factor, and claws. Yeah, Wolverine gets a 7 in fighting ability and a 5 in durability, whereas Spider-Man's highest is a 6 
And then he's got a few fours, but Wolverine, Wolverine has like a two strength, but like his stamina, durability, and fighting ability are just like bonkers. Right. They're like, <laughs> so they like picked his good stats and they're like, these are the ones we're going to measure. All right. Let's, let's do a little rocket competition. Nova versus Cannonball. I'll what? take Nova. Nova. We didn't even ask for which stat array it is. We're both like Nova. Yeah, no, what, in no way should Cannonball win this. Um, so it's New Warrior versus New Mutant. Cannonball is the leader of the New Mutants, and Nova is he's just a New Warrior. Drunk. He's trying to talk us into it. That's how I know we're right. Yeah, this was no contest. Nova's got seventeen. Cannonball's got six or eleven. <laughs> six. <laughs> I was maybe he didn't deserve that. Um. All right, and then our final one is a team up. Ooh, okay, tag team, tag team. Magneto and Mister Sinister versus Doctor Doom and the Red Skull. Magneto and Sinister. Does Doctor does does anyone have the Cosmic Cube? <laughs> um, the stat line, by the way, for them is strength, intel. Mental power and energy projection is what these guys are competing with. I'm going to go Magneto and Sinister. I'll go human. There's a lot of intel, some good energy projection. With a combined score, 34, Magneto and Mr. Sinister defeat Dr. Doom and Red Skull. Sinister uh Brings brings it home. Red Skull doesn't keep up with Sinister. Doom and Magneto are tied at 21. You know, I'm pretty sure Max would argue that Doctor Doom has magic. Therefore, his power should really just overwhelm both. Magneto I, I would put Doom as maybe the individually highest, but I don't I, like like you said. I think Red Skull drags behind. I yes, but he's a Nazi. Is- Can you be more evil than that? Well, it's I not an evil competition. Been, that wasn't the stat. Should have been given a uh, uh, Cosmic Cube. That seems like it might tip the balance. Uh, you know, one that stood out to me, though, I was looking for matchups, and uh, Johnny Storm was only an 18. The Human Torch. Sunfire's a 21. There was definitely some X-Men bias back in the day. They were big, man. They were the thing. Yeah. This is interesting. I feel like nowadays they're considered lower on the power scale than all these other guys. And back then they were just like bonkers bananas. Yeah, man. Hopefully we are now in the dawn of X and it's all coming back. <laughs> all right. Well, we can help. Any last thoughts? Uh, I feel like we say it every time, but I am looking forward to where this is going. All right. Uh, Kelsey. Yeah. Ready for the next one. All right. Well, We'll see you next week and as we hop on board a Nimrod shell and throw ourselves into the nearest dwarf planet. We're out. See ya. Later. Hello, fellow Danger Room survivors. This is Dane thanking you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I want to invite you to join the examination community by checking us out at our website and Twitter. We'd love to hear what you think of the podcast and get your suggestions for questions of the week and Marvel 20 questions. You can find us at examination.blogspot.com and on Twitter at Examination. That's E-X-A-M-E-N-A-T-I-O-N dot blogspot dot com and at Examination spelled the same way. While you're at it, help us grow the community by giving us an Omega Level review wherever you listen to the podcast. See you next week.